0: This week on A Lively Experiment.
1: I um, do not believe you will be serving as governor of the state of Rhode Island for, for very much longer.
0: Governor Raimondo gets a friendly welcome from the committee vetting her bid to become a cabinet secretary. And the state's vaccine rollout continues to be plagued by distribution questions. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... For more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on this week's panel, Boston Globe reporter, Amanda Milkovitz. Ted Nisi, politics and business editor for WPRI Channel 12. And Providence Journal's Statehouse reporter, Patrick Anderson welcome everyone i'm jim hummel it is great to have you with us this weekend well if there was any doubt that governor raimondo would be confirmed as president biden's commerce secretary that quickly evaporated shortly after the hearing done virtually began on tuesday the only real contentious moment came when republican senator ted cruz began to question her if you didn't have a chance to slog through the two and a half hours of the hearing like the rest of us did, we have a taste of her testimony, beginning with Senator Cruz's question. In
2: 2019, the state of Rhode Island came, came out 50th, dead last the, the worst state in the union uh, for businesses. What reassurances can you give the American people that that your performance at commerce would be better than the state of Rhode Island has done in terms of creating an environment where jobs are plentiful?
1: And I ran for governor. Rhode Island had the highest unemployment rate in the country. And just prior to COVID, we had the lowest unemployment rate in our state's history and the most jobs in our state's history. Uh, My record is clear that we have created thousands of jobs for the people of Rhode Island. And I would look forward to fighting for the American worker, should I be confirmed?
2: I believe
1: that climate change is probably the greatest threat we face. And also there's an opportunity to create jobs as we combat climate change. We've talked a lot today about how to compete with China and we talked about tariffs and defense, but some of it is offense, which is investing in America innovation and doing that broadly. And so I would be excited to you know work with you on that issue. I um, do not believe you will be serving as governor of the state of Rhode Island for, for very much longer. and I look forward to working with you.
3: Thank you.
0: Well, there you have it, from the chairman's lips to our ears. I think the most amusing thing at the beginning, he said, now, Governor Raimondo is going to be uh, testifying virtually because she's so busy running the state of Rhode Island. And then for the next two hours, all we heard was, well, you know, Senator, in that conversation we had with you last week and here and there, it sounded like she spent most of the last two weeks getting ready for the hearing, which I understand is fine. Ted, that's my uh, observation. I was expecting a few more hardball questions Um I don't know how, you know, I know you were the one who slogged through the two and a half hours. So tell me your impressions.
2: Yeah, I think uh, it, it, was, it was more positive uh, than I think I expected as well, uh, just not based on a basic level of Washington partisanship, right? And I think Chairman Wicker set that tone from the hearing right off the top. You know, he's a Republican from Mississippi, and he was praising the governor right in his introduction of her. Um, you also have to remember the Senate's in a funny place right now because the Democrats have the majority with Kamala Harris's tie-breaking vote, but they don't actually have control yet because Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer are still arguing. I, I actually think that's affecting the dynamic in the Senate as well at the moment, but certainly I have to think the governor, I know the governor's people were thrilled when she got off there that really that Ted Cruz question was was the toughest one she got on her own record. And even on a couple others where she clearly, you know, didn't have a strong opinion or, you know, didn't want to make any policy on the fly. uh, She seemed to get through it pretty unscathed. So, yeah, I'd say, you know, a a pretty uh, solid uh, debut on the national stage for her.
0: Amanda, a lot of technical questions. There were a lot of terms that I'd never heard of, and it makes you realize the breadth of what the Commerce Secretary was, and she was pretty well prepared from what I could hear.
1: I was going to say exactly that thing. What I thought was amazing was that the you know, the hearing really covered the breadth of what that job is all about. We're not talking about Westerly to Woonsocket anymore. This is the national stage, and everybody in that committee room, you felt like they were rooting for her, maybe not so much tenant. Senator Ted Cruz, but they were rooting for her, but they wanted to see what are you going to help, what are you going to do to help my state? How are you going to advance this issue? She was incredibly prepared, but this is Governor Raimondo, and we're kind of used to, this is how she works right now. And she has been busy running the state for sure. We're still in the middle of a pandemic, but I wasn't at all surprised that for the last couple of weeks that she has been behind the scenes speaking with all these folks. That That was a job interview that was kind of the best t- way a job interview could go. And um, we won't be seeing her around too much longer, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> well, and Patrick, we have we have watched her, 125 briefings that she's made clear that she's done. What kind of struck me was the, Bi- and it's pretty clear the Biden people are telling her to clam up and not talk to us. Like anybody was worried about Gina Raimondo handling herself, she's done it for nine months that she couldn't talk to reporters because that might jeopardize her confirmation hearing. I found that a little bit of a disconnect.
3: Yeah, it it does uh, come across as a little odd, and and you wonder what they're worried about, but I think it's sort of a a blanket best practice that they've established, rather than something that specifically uh, relates to Raimondo, or or something where they're actually afraid of anything in particular that she's going to say. Um, But it has been a little frustrating um, over the last week or so, Trying to find out what she's actually been doing when when it's clear that most of her time has been preparing for these hearings or if not most of a lot of her time um, and the number of meetings that she's had uh, With senators and potentially other uh, members of Congress I mean, you really heard that preparation and the level of conversation she's had with all of the different senators memorizing what their particular issues are what their home state industries are that they're from cherries to uh, salmon to different things that they're really uh, interested in you you realize how much time she's been spending doing that and it's been a little frustrating also that the the that her office and the folks here have not acknowledged that um and Told us uh, what she's doing. Um, they won't. They didn't. Wouldn't say who she's meeting with and how many. How many senators she's met with uh, over the last two weeks. Um, uh, you know, but that that's a frustration that will probably uh, you know to her is is small in the grand scheme of things. Ted.
2: Yeah. I mean, I agree with Patrick, right? Uh, You know, she's still the governor and it's our job to cover her, uh, even if she's in in her own version of lockdown. And uh, I also think, look, we're in a very fraught time in COVID, you know, and and one of her advisors said to me, well, look, there were times, you know, Lincoln Almond used to go uh, home to the Cape for a while in the summertime and people didn't, you know, throw a fit, you know, that he wasn't around doing press conferences, but they also acknowledge you know, this is a time where she was doing daily press conferences not so long ago. And I think You know, I think the confusion around the vaccine, you know, I know she's still doing meetings around COVID, having conference calls and things like that. As Patrick said, I don't know what percentage of her time that is at this point, but clearly the vacuum that her voice not being out there has created, allowing Dan McKee to say, well, maybe the teachers should be prioritized. And then that kind of got partly walked back. You know, we're taping this uh, ahead of the briefing, but we presume we're going to hear more about that. I do think the leadership vacuum, even just from a public, communication and understanding standpoint is having an effect. And I think over time we'll find out if it also had an effect,
0: a real effect behind the scenes. And Amanda, the the, the relationship has not been good. We all know that, that it's been very distant for whatever reason between McKee and Raimondo. And so now you heard McKee initially saying, the lieutenant governor, well, there's only one governor at a time. But then he kind of went over over the weekend, said, well, maybe the teachers should get the vaccine and maybe the legislators. So it really is. I mean, honestly, I wish the governor the best of luck. But I think the sooner she goes, the better it's going to be for everybody, don't you think?
1: Yeah, Rhode Island, we need to move on. We are again, we are in the middle of a pandemic and um, the governor is going to be on the national stage. But the rest of us are still here and we're still dealing with this issue. And there's been a lot of confusion over um, who's getting the vaccine and when we're getting the vaccine. We were expected, you know, we're, we're, um, this is Thursday morning. We're expecting an announcement about, you know, people over 75 in, in different cities and towns are going to be, um, allowed to receive the vaccine, but how much vaccine? You know, the the Lieutenant Governor has said that he wants to see teachers prioritized, but as Ted says, he's starting to walk that back. (laughs) Teachers would love to be prioritized. We really need a consistent message and we just haven't had it. We haven't had a real seamless transition handoff here. And um, it's been difficult with the, uh, the communication shutout from the governor.
0: Patrick, what sense do you get about um, uh, what a McKee administration is going to look like versus a Raimondo administration? Anything that that the viewers and the public should be looking out in that initial week, two weeks, a month when he takes over?
3: Well, I think everyone is going to be looking at the vaccine rollout first and foremost, and and that's really the the first example um, of first off this this tension of having. Almost two governors right now. And it will also be the first thing where we might see actual practical evidence of where McKee might take the state and might do something differently from Ramondo. As Ted mentioned that, you know, we're on Thursday, we're expecting a briefing on COVID and uh, the vaccination plans later today that in which McKee will be on the stage. And so we have a really odd situation where. The the policy is being set by one governor and one governor's team, but a new governor coming in is actually the one speaking for uh, the state and is the boss to the people who are setting that policy. They know that the person um, next to them is the one who's going to be calling the shots probably uh, sometime next week. So it's really a a bizarre dynamic of, of who's really in charge. But you know, I think we will get a sense, a little bit, of whether he wants to come in um, and change the direction, and show that he's doing something different uh, than Raimondo did, um, and or, or trying to shake things up, and show the voters um, that he's in control. Uh, or he could go for continuity, realizing that this is an incredibly complicated uh, situation that they've been work that the health department has been working on for a long time and he's coming in a little cold to and have a easier smoother transition and try to make sure that you don't have conflict that you don't have crossing messages like we had a little bit this week going forward that that could
0: could make the situation worse what are you hearing ted
2: Well, I think it's interesting. I I was told yesterday that uh, starting this past Monday, which would be two days after McKee's unexpected press conference about prioritizing the teachers, he started having daily conference calls with uh, health director Dr. Alexander Scott and General Callahan from the National Guard, who's another major leader for the governor, Governor Raimondo, in uh, her response. So I think There was also maybe a recognition on the Raimondo team side that even if he's keeping the same people in place, his voice is going to be listened to now, and they need to make sure he's on board and listening uh, and understanding why they're making the policy choices they are. And of course, you know, once he's truly governor, you know, influencing them and changing them if he doesn't like it, because as Patrick said, he'll be the top boss. But I I also think what you're seeing is that, uh, you know, I think Dan McKee is probably learning a lesson that, you know, you can say mostly what you want uh, as lieutenant governor. And, you know, you'll get you'll get a headline here and there. But when you're the governor, every sentence you utter, especially on something as fraught as vaccines, is a statewide headline and gets picked apart, and gets looked at. And I think I'll be honest, I was surprised. I didn't expect him to do this much Uh, this many interviews and off-the-cuff conversations before he was governor uh, when he was stuck in this limbo. Because I think that's, if he said it once he's governor, well, then that's the policy and they have to do it. But right now he's stuck and he's, I don't know. I think, uh, I was surprised. I didn't think they'd have him this much out front in the in-between period.
0: The other thing I wonder, uh, Amanda, is that he, so the governor, when she, we had a discussion a couple of weeks ago, did she sneak out, did she slink out? She blew us off, basically, at her last press conference. And right before she said, I'm leaving and handed it off, she said, oh, and by the way, we're extending all the restrictions until the middle of February. Now, that affects a lot of small businesses, which has been in McGee's wheelhouse. You wonder whether that's something he's going to, from day one, just say, all right, we're going to roll that back. That's something concrete he could do.
1: He could do that, and I'm very curious about whether he's going to do that and how many of the restrictions that she has imposed that he will continue. I mean, you know, as Ted and Patrick have said, he's the main person now or he will be the main person. And it's been very easy to be behind the scenes and lob and say, this is what I think should happen. But now he has a chance to really have an imprint and really leave a mark on state government. We're going to have a chance to see what he does. You know, and I'm really curious about who the lieutenant governor is going to be and what kind of a role that person is going to play and whether they will also be a partner to uh, to
0: Okay, the vaccine rollout, uh, we were talking off air before. I don't know about your inbox, guys. Mine is blown up every every week. And we actually pass a lot of it on to your colleague, uh, uh, Eli Sherman, uh, Ted. So thank him, thank him for all of the uh, the emails I've sent his way. Patrick, let me begin with you. So the McKee uh, administration, that's going to be front and center, just as it is with the Biden administration. What struck me was, and I've talked about this before, last fall, I remember being at the vets and the governor saying, oh, and we've got this great vaccine plan. And I'm thinking, vaccine is so far away. Well, now we realize how important that plan was. But the plan is not meeting with the reality. And uh, and there, from my vantage point, there doesn't seem to be enough of a reaction to say, okay, what's wrong? Let's massage it and go forward. Uh, you may be a little closer to it in the people you talk to, but I wonder why government is a little bit more nimble at this point.
3: Yeah, well, with Rhode Island's vaccine plan, um, there's, there's a couple of things. There's the way they've approached actually uh, doing the the vaccination, and then there's the the communication issue, and they've been very conservative uh, on on both uh, sides of this, and on the on on how wide they try to distribute the vaccine. That has pluses and minuses, uh, as you've seen in other states. Uh, if you make the, the vaccine available or, or let people sign up widely, there are gonna be big messes on um, when they try to actually get the shot, it's not available, long lines uh, as in Florida, uh, websites that, that shut off, um, and all kinds of messes with people angry that they've been told they can get the vaccine, but they can't actually get it because there aren't enough shots. That looks like it's it's driven Rhode Island's response to try to avoid that and keep the vaccinations very narrow, um, and that actually that has the minus of you have people uh, who want the vaccine who who don't even think they're uh, being considered to get it, um, and they can get it in other states. They hear that their family members in Connecticut um, are are getting. vaccine or walking up to a clinic and getting it that day so it's making people very angry uh on that way but then on the communication i I think even if you were going to do as rhode island has done a a narrow distribution rollout i think there needs to be more uh communication to residents about when they can expect it and and that would i think make people a little bit more accepting of not being in line now or not being able to run out and get the shot now if they had some better expectation of when they might get it. And and hopefully that is coming soon because that's a lot of the direction of a lot of the emails that I get is just the, the vacuum of information and, and the
0: confusion that people are dealing with. Ted, you guys have done a deep dive on this. What's your take?
2: Yeah, I think I mean I I I've, I defer in some ways to Eli Sherman, my colleague at WPRI, who's been our vaccine expert. And you know, I as his editor, I you know, this is uh, insanely complicated. You know, I've I've edited thousands of words by Eli just in the last week on vaccines, and I still have trouble keeping in my own head, as Patrick was alluding to, the streams of of, of causes that are affecting it right now. But I do think, you know, I I think. There's there's truth to what Patrick said about a communication vacuum. I think that goes back to the governor who, you know, in normal times would be doing her briefing, taking questions. I think that would probably allay some of the public confusion, you know, doing that. And yes, they still do them with Alexander Scott, but it's not the same as with the governor. But then I just think I continue to think there's somewhat of just a basic Econ 101 supply and demand problem here, if you send 14,000 shots a week, first doses to Rhode Island for a million people, uh, even if only let's say 300 or 400,000 people want to get a first dose at the moment, that's still way more demand than the number of shots coming in. And I, I we were talking before, I looked at the front page of the Globe and the Herald in Boston today, you know, Charlie Baker's not going anywhere, he's doing press conferences, and it's still a total mess in Massachusetts, because we, we're getting emails from our viewers across the border too. So I do think, of course, there are going to be parts of this that are the fault of Rhode Island officials, the governor transition, etc. But I also just think some of it is, is just Rhode Island feeling the same mess that many other states are from a limited supply and again, a federal transition happening at the same time.
0: Amanda, I just wanted to shift gears slightly because we've got about nine minutes left in the show. You've been covering this whole nursing home issue Extensively, you've been leading the coverage on it. At first, people couldn't get in to see their um, their loved ones. Now there's a caregivers bill. Can you set the table because a lot of people watch this show, and I get a lot of emails that say, "This I can't see my loved one." And how do we get a solution here? So, can you talk about some of the coverage you've done on this? Sure.
1: This this makes this is one of the most tragic stories I think to come out of this pandemic. Uh, We talk about the elderly um, in the nursing homes um, who. You know, no one can see them. The, their loved ones can't see them. They're, they're stuck in their rooms. They don't have the activities they used to have. And um, you talk to any CNA and they'll tell you these people are dying of loneliness. And um, they're also dying of COVID. And that is the reason that they have had so many restrictions on visitation. Now there's a group of families who have been advocating since last summer, particularly once the governor started to roll back restrictions on casinos and strip clubs and and not on nursing homes and um these are people who are not just going in to visit grandma these are people who are taking care of of loved ones who have dementia who will spend hours every single day um taking care of them uh, feeding them walking them giving them their medication really make and take the load off the staff right absolutely and that's a big issue now i mean last last week the senate house excuse me, the Senate um, Health and Human Services Committee heard two bills. One is on minimum staffing standards and the nursing homes were absolutely against that. They can't afford it. The second one is on this essential caregivers bill, which essentially will put some teeth in it. During an emergency, the Department of Health will have to set some rules that will allow certain trained loved ones to go in and take care of the residents. And, um, you know, the governor did uh, sign an executive order last month allowing this, but it's optional. And honestly, very few, if any, nursing homes are doing this. They say they just don't have time. They're trying to get people vaccinated. A lot of their staff doesn't want to get vaccinated. They're only about halfway through the vaccinations of, of some of the residents. They do have a lot on their plate, but they also don't have enough staff to take care of these residents. And the family members are saying, let us get back in and help you. We'll get tested. We're we'll the PPE. We're willing to do anything we need to um, because, you know, time is running out for these folks. And who knows where this legislation will go. Um, so
0: that's that's the word is they wanted say, to say to the legislature, look, now that you guys are engaged, pay attention to this.
1: Pay attention because nobody's paying attention. These are people without a voice everybody okay. else has a voice in this vaccine everybody else the teachers are speaking up <laughs> the board members on lifespan are speaking up everybody has a chance to say something again except for these poor folks who are in these nursing homes
0: okay thank you uh, you wanted to get that out there let's do outrages and then we may get to a little national outrage or kudo mr nisi what do you have this week
2: i got an outrage uh I, and I, I had this i tweeted this out i think last week but i'm still thinking about it i think it's crazy to me that we still don't have some system from the feds about uh, which masks are best. Like, you know, they have Energy Star stickers on the appliances when you go to <laughs> or you know, they have good housekeeping seal of approval on other stuff. It, it, we've had, I get it last spring that, you know, we, things were still in flux, but there have been so many months now. It, it, I, you know, I've, I've tried to buy better masks for when I'm out reporting in the field because the experts are saying that a good mask can really help you. But you go in, the KN95 from China, I don't know which Chinese company this is. Is this a good one? Is this a bad one? And Yes, I know there's some things you can Google and get in the weeds, but it seems like at this point in the pandemic, there should just be some simple way for the average citizen, you know, trying to buy a mask for themselves or for their family to say, OK, yeah, this is a good mask. This is this level of quality. Um, and it just still feels like people are a lot more
0: on their own than necessary. Right. And I just read this week that they're saying with the UK variant and some of these other strains, you might want to double mask. Yes. So what does the CDC say about that?
2: Well, exactly there, and they're saying maybe you want to do that, but even then, double mask with what kind of mask, right? People, the cloth face coverings were supposed to be, to some extent, a, a stopgap measure when they switched the policy so quickly on masking last spring. But mo- I, I talked to colleagues about who are still—it's not clear to them still that if you can get them, you really should try to up to if you're, you know, in a place you might be more exposed, an N95, a can 95 So I don't know. It just seems. Like something where maybe a more clear you know federal guidance and something could have could make it easier for people and again would be the kind of thing that could make it easier to go about our lives and maybe have fewer restrictions
0: maybe we should all show up to the briefing today with the uh, the, the respirator masks <laughs> that come out something out of a zombie movie Patrick, what do you have do you have an outrage or a kudo this week uh,
3: I've, I've got a couple outrages but just on Ted's point about the mask and also the state's policy is still. There, the executive order is that you should not wear a, a surgical or a, a, a N95 or a KN95, that those should be left for healthcare professionals. Um, and, and I think that needs to be updated. But, and, but another, my outrage first one is, <laughs> is, is also kind of on federal policy around COVID and, just, and I think there needs to be better communication on the vaccine approval um, process. Uh, we've got two more vaccines, Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca, that are, are sitting out there ready to be approved. And to a layman who, who is not an expert and doesn't know anything about this, um, the FDA's approval process, which is, is more rigorous but also slower than most other countries, um, is, is not satisfactory to me to understand uh, why with so many people dying every day, um, that uh, these vaccines cannot be approved faster, um, and I'm sure there's a very good reason for it, but I don't think that's been communicated.
2: And well, then, plus, Patrick pre- isn't Asterix, I think AstraZeneca is already being given in the UK. I,
3: it might be. It's it's, uh, it's and it's similar to the the Russian. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think it is in the UK. Yeah, it's the Oxford AstraZeneca. It is, and it's similar to the Russian one, which is which was the first one they approved. Um, and I, I know that the re- they said, um, and Ashish Jha said, the reason that this isn't approved is the data is quote unquote messy. But there's a lot of things about COVID that are messy, including the, you know, the, the number of deaths and the
0: kind of halt of, of life as we know it. Um, did you have a second outrage quickly? you didn't pre-approve this with me so go ahead we'll make a special no, on
3: Ramundo's on Ramundo's uh, hearings no mention of Calamari. I wanted calamari.
0: <laughs> oh well that was a that was a huge outrage. so um, Amanda, you got about a minute minute and a half left. What's on your mind? Okay
1: no no well first of all we did kind of cover my outrage which is Governor Ramundo not answering questions and disappearing but since she's going to be Secretary Ramundo pretty soon, there we go. I'm going to give a kudos, um, actually, to a former colleague of mine, Tom Mooney, uh, uh, the Providence Journal, who this week wrote a fascinating story. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because it has nothing to do with COVID. It has nothing to do with vaccines. And this is why I enjoyed this story. It was on Nicholas Alverdian. And um, back in the day, a couple of years ago, he was very outspoken about DCYF. And he's just a strange character. And what makes him so interesting is suddenly he was supposedly dead. And I know that there was a story going around to all of the uh, local reporters about, um, please write about that he has died and we should write about this. Well, Tom Moody, give him credit, he dug into the supposed death of Nicholas Alverdian and no one is quite sure that he's really gone. I'm not gonna tell you anymore because you have to read the story, but it involves the FBI and involves a fake Wikipedia page and involves a mystery.
0: That's a great tease. You should work in television. You could be a good producer. (laughs) All right, folks, It's over for now, but we're going to do our special online segment. We didn't get to any of the national stuff, Lively Extra. So right now, go to ripbs.org slash Lively. Ted and Amanda and uh, Patrick, thank you for this. But we're going to continue the conversation. Hope you can join us. And for the rest of you, join us back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Have a great week, everybody. experiment is generously underwritten by for more than 30 years a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face rhode islanders i'm john hazen white jr and i'm proud to support this great program and rhode island pbs